Luke, the eighth chapter. Luke chapter eight. And this morning, Stephanie is going to read for us Luke chapter eight, the latter half. Please listen as the word is read. Luke eight twenty two. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Then he sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is the opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons for a long time. He had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said with a loud voice, What have you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them, to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how Jesus had done for him, how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And there was a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. 
And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came into the house, he allowed no one to enter in with him except Peter, John, and James, the father and mother of the child, and the father and mother of the child. And all was weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them not to tell, charged them to tell no one what happened. Amen. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, who then is this? Who then is this? Please pray with me, and let's get into these verses. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would help us today as we study Luke chapter 8, as you encourage us this morning that Jesus Christ has authority over all things, over disaster, demons, disease, and even death. Encourage us to know that Jesus Christ has the authority to save us, the ability to do so, that we are safe in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About a year ago, 30-year-old Naphtali Dykes, who was an inmate at Hudson County Correctional Center, was released. A couple hours after his release, he was struck by a car and died. I don't tell you that this morning to depress you on this Easter Sunday, but I do tell it to make a point. And that is sometimes what we think is our prison is not really our prison. Sometimes what we think is our biggest problem is not really our biggest problem. Sometimes we exchange one prison for another prison. I don't know about you, but so often in my life it seems that every time one stressor leaves, another stress enters. Every time one problem leaves, another problem enters. Every time one bad thing goes away, another bad thing seems to come. One thing that we've got to understand is that we are not as free as we would like to think. Even when we feel free, we are still gripped by natural disasters, spiritual forces, diseases, and death. I want to come to you this morning out of this passage, and I want to show you the power of Jesus Christ over these forces that grip us. 
I want you to see this morning that Jesus Christ has indeed all authority. And if Jesus has all authority, then what that means is that he has the ability to save you. Let's look at the text today. We've got four stories that are kind of chain-linked together, and they all have this central theme that Jesus Christ has all authority. I want you to see that nature, the spiritual world, and the physical world all submit to Jesus Christ. First, we see that wind and waves submit to Jesus Christ. In verses 20 through 25, there's a storm at sea. As I was writing this sermon, I was literally trying to think of an illustration, some way to, to, to talk about this storm and how helpless these disciples must have felt when there was a storm at sea. And I, and I couldn't figure out what my illustration could be because my baby Chapman was screaming at the top of his lungs and I couldn't settle him down. And I thought to myself, here is my illustration. I bring Chapman on the stage and let you see what it looks like when a toddler has a storm. And see if you can calm the boy. Well, if you think it's difficult to calm a screaming toddler having a fit, how much harder is it to calm a storm? We see a storm at sea. Jesus has this idea, let's go ahead and cross the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is known to have terrible storms. Located 700 feet below sea level, cold air sweeps through the, the, the gorges to the east of the sea, and in a moment, a storm can be whipped up. Winds come in. Waves increase, and the storms on the sea are known to, to sink boats like this. One of these storms whips up while they're out to sea. And in verse 23, it says that Jesus fell asleep, which I think is just interesting to note that Jesus fell asleep in the midst of this chaos. What is chaotic for us? is good sleeping weather for Jesus. Well, his disciples don't find it to be so funny, and they're freaking out. They're afraid. The Bible says that they are in danger. They say, Master, Master, we are perishing. Verse 24, and he awoke. And look what it says. He rebuked the wind and the raging waves. You don't talk to wind or waves. Wind doesn't have ears. Waves they, doesn't have a mind. You don't rebuke wind and waves. This is power. This is incredible power. My son has ears and a mind, and it's really difficult to still him in the middle of this stor his storm. The wind and the waves are impossible to be stilled with our voice. 
Jesus speaks. He rebukes the wind and the waves, and they are stilled. We live in a storm-prone world. I don't know if you feel like your boat is filling up and you might be drowning. Maybe you came here this morning hopeless, feeling like God is sleeping on you. Maybe your marriage is a storm. Maybe you feel like your singleness is a storm. Listen, Jesus is the Lord of every storm. There is no storm too great for our Savior, Jesus Christ. This scene closes with two questions, one from Jesus and one from his disciples. Jesus looks at his disciples and he asks them a question. He says, where was your faith? It's almost as if he rebukes them. Why were you freaking out? Don't you know who's on the boat with you? And then the, the disciples follow up his question with their own question, and that is this. Who then is this? Who then is this? Well, I don't think the disciples fully understand the answer to that question. I don't think the, the disciples fully understand and grasp who it is that is in their presence. They misunderstand him. And Luke, as he's writing this for us, does not want us to miss the significance of this question that is asked. Who is it that can speak to a storm other than the one who spoke and all things came into existence? Who then is this? The next story follows right after. And we see, secondly, that demons submit to Jesus. In verses 26 through 39, they sail to the country of the Gerasenes. And there's a crazy man that lives there. It, it explains a little bit about his background. He's, he's one who is, uh, had, had been bound by chains. Yet even the chains couldn't hold him. He would break these chains and would run off into the wilderness. And by the time Jesus meets him in the country of the Gerasenes, this man is living naked, homeless, in a graveyard. And as Jesus comes closer to this man, we get a glimpse, a deeper glimpse into what his problem is. He's not merely a crazy man, but he's a demon-possessed man. He introduces himself as Legion. Legion was a title for a Roman platoon of 6,000 soldiers. This means that this man has thousands of demons inside of him. And as Jesus comes closer, the demons cry out from in the man, What have you to do with me, son of, man, son of the Most High God? I want to just point out, it is interesting, that the demons know who Jesus is. The demons actually get Jesus more than his own disciples do. The disciples ask the question, who in the world is this? And the demons respond, son of the most high God. The demons have known him since the time that they were created. They knew him in heaven before they rebelled against God. 
They know him as the Savior of the world whom they are trying to stop and destroy. They, are, uh, they know him as the one who they are trying to distract you from. And as Jesus comes close to them, they freak out. What have you to do with us? What have you come for? Son of the Most High God. They're afraid in verse 31 that He's going to throw them into the abyss, which would be hell. For that is their destiny. And they ask Jesus for permission to instead go into pigs. Jesus grants them their wish and they enter into these pigs and the pigs run off into the water. I hope there's no PETA officials in the room right now. Animal cruelty. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, I want you to recognize that Demons ask Jesus for permission. The demons that controlled this man, that drove him to this insane behavior, the demons that were so powerful that uh, this, this man was able to break chains, these demons ask Jesus for permission. The spirits that seek to destroy you that seek to come after you and, and uh, 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 tempt you and trick you, these spirits ask Jesus for permission. The, the spiritual world, the devils, the demons, that horror movies are made of in Hollywood, they ask Jesus for permission. Listen, Satan is not Lord. Demons are not Lord of death. If demons were Lord of death, we would all be dead right now. But the demons come to Christ and ask Him for permission. Nothing happens in your life outside of the permission of Jesus Christ. That is authority. That is power. Now the townspeople show up maybe because of this whole animal cruelty piece, all right? All the pigs are gone. We don't know exactly why, but they show up and they're upset. And they ask Jesus to leave. Oh, wow. What power they have in their presence. The hope of Christ right in front of them. And they ask Him to leave. However, who do they find? Sitting next to Jesus is the man who had been possessed by thousands of demons. And it says that he is sitting clothed. Look at verse 39. They found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. And their response is, they were afraid. Listen, when Jesus comes and touches an individual, he changes them. I find it interesting that Luke points out clothing, for clothing is often a symbol of God's righteousness in Christ that we wear. This is a physical picture for us of the crazy naked person we used to be and the clothing that we now have in Christ as we have been calmed. The greater storm is not outside but inside. 
And this man is sitting next to Jesus, and in verse 39, he's, or verse 38, he's begging Jesus that he might stay with him. What love he must have had for his Savior. In verse 39, Jesus says something better. He says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Listen, I don't know if you have ever been an outcast in society, but I want you to know that the outcasts of society can be changed and are changed by Jesus Christ and are turned into his witnesses. To go into all of the world and make known what he has done for you. Don't let your past determine your future. Don't believe that simply because you have had a bad reputation in society that you cannot bring the Savior of this world to society. He is sent to be the witness for what Jesus has done for him. The third story, disease. These third and fourth stories, they're actually sandwiched together by Luke. Think of bread and meat and another, another piece of bread. It's a certain writing style that the gospel writers often use in order to make a point because these things are tied together. As the story goes on, there's a man named Jairus who comes to Jesus. Jairus is a ruler at the synagogue. His daughter is 12 years old and she's dying. And so he's come to Jesus to to ask if Jesus would come and heal his daughter. At the same time, there's a woman who comes to Jesus and interrupts Jesus in his tracks as he's walking with Jairus. The woman has had a disease for 12 years. Doctors today say that this kind of disease, bleeding for 12 years, is a disease uh, that that was uh, rampant in the ancient world. And by this time, After 12 years of dealing with it, her life is nearly over. She would have been so weak, crawling to Jesus. The Scripture says that she spent all of her money on doctors. And another Gospel writer tells us that she wasn't better, but she was worse. Can you imagine the hopelessness of her situation? She comes to Jesus She comes to Jesus in faith. As she reaches out, Jesus himself, in verse 48, recognizes the fact that she reached in faith. That she came believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. That he is the Savior of the world. That he is the Messiah. That he is the Son of God. She reached out and touched just the hem of his garment. And Jesus feels power go outside of him. And she is healed of this disease. There's even another layer to this in Leviticus. Chapter 15, verse 27, we see that her situation would have caused her to become ceremonially unclean, which means for 12 years she's been untouchable, which means if she touches someone, she passes that uncleanness to the individual that she touches. How scandalous it is of her to reach out and touch the hem of the garment. In her touch, she would be making Jesus unclean. This is why she's coming in fear. Jesus knows exactly who touched her. 
This is why it says that she sees that she's not hidden. In verse 27, she reveals herself trembling. And instead of receiving judgment from Jesus, what does she receive but grace? The one who is only whole allowed himself to be touched by the broken. And instead of receiving her brokenness, she received his wholeness. The one who is pure, no stain within him, allowed himself to be touched by the unclean. And instead of receiving her uncleanness, she receives his purity. A great exchange happened that day, which pictured a greater exchange that was about to happen on the cross of Jesus Christ, in which all of us who stand before God in our rags, all of us who stand as ones who are defiled and dirty and filthy because of our sin, come to Christ. And what we discover is because of the cross of Jesus Christ, He has taken our guilt and our shame. Under the old covenant, a priest would place his hand onto the head of a goat And in so doing, ceremonially place the guilt of all of the people onto that goat and send him outside into the wilderness. He was called the scapegoat. And with the goat would go the the, the shame and the guilt of the people. Jesus became the scapegoat for his people. Our sin and our shame and our brokenness was given to him and placed on him. And he took it and he took it all. He paid it all. And in doing so, Jesus gave us his purity. He gave us his righteousness. He gave us his wholeness. And this is an invitation open to every single one in this room to come to Christ now. Are you washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ? He comes ready to heal sinners and cleanse us from all of unrighteousness. Receive his gift of salvation this morning. Lastly, we see that death submits to Jesus in verses 49 through 56. By the time Jesus has finished healing this woman and interacting with this woman, news comes to Jairus which says, do not trouble the teacher any longer. Your daughter is dead. Now, I have a 12-year-old daughter, and I can only imagine the pain and grief in that moment. And I can only imagine his glimmer of hope in verse 50 as he hears Jesus say, but do not fear, only believe. He walks with Jesus in faith. They arrive at the house where the dead girl lies. And in verse 53, Jesus looks at those who are weeping and he says, do not weep, she is only sleeping. She's only sleeping, you might ask? They know what a sleeping girl looks like. Skin that is cold and pale is not 
characteristic of those who are sleeping. A body with muscles that have grown stiff due to rigor mortis is not characteristic of those who are sleeping. They know what a dead body looks like. And I can only imagine what's going through their mind as they hear Jesus shush them. Do not weep. She is only sleeping. And what gets crazier is in verse 54, it says Jesus takes the girl's hand and he speaks to her and says, child, arise. Family, you don't talk to dead people. You don't gently try to nudge the dead and wake them up from their sleep. But in the same way that Jesus talks to storms, Jesus talks to death. What does he mean by the fact that she's only sleeping? What he's saying is this. What's impossible for you is possible with God. What is death for you is like mere sleep for God. And in verse 55, the girl obeys Jesus. And she arises. Her skin grows warm. Her muscles relax. Her heart begins to beat. Blood begins to flow through her body. Her brain comes back to life. And she's risen from the dead. Look at verse 55. Her spirit returned. And she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. These are four pretty amazing stories, aren't they? Question. What can we learn from these stories? What can we learn from these stories? Should we believe that every single Category 5 hurricane in which we find ourselves in will go away if we only pray and ask Jesus to send it away? Can we pray for God just to do something with the weather for us? You know, you're heading to the beach and it's raining. God, make it some, give us some sunshine today. Should we expect God to take away every physical storm in our life? Or what about diseases? Does this mean that we should expect God to heal us of every single disease that we have if we are a Christian? Or what about premature death? According to these stories, should we believe that Jesus will raise everybody who dies prematurely from the dead? There are massive problems reading these stories and applying them in such a way. What are the problems with that? Well, number one, there were other storms of Jesus' day that he did not still. There were other diseases of Jesus' day that he did not heal. And there were plenty of others who died at a young age that he did not raise from the dead. If Jesus did not deal with all of it, then we cannot assume that that was the primary reason he came. The second problem with applying these stories in that way 
is that if it was Jesus' goal to give us peace from all disasters, to heal us of all of our diseases, and to prevent death from happening prematurely in our life, if that was Jesus' goal, then Jesus did a pretty poor job at it. Because as we know, John the Baptist in this moment is in jail and about to get his head lopped off because of Jesus. Lazarus, another person that Jesus raises from the dead, according to to church history, was killed a week later because of Jesus. Peter, who's actually in this boat with Jesus and whose life is temporarily preserved, ends up being crucified upside down and dying an agonizing death because of Jesus. As a matter of fact, according to church tradition, every, almost every single one of these disciples who are on this boat with Jesus die prematurely. Thomas was speared to death by Roman officers. Philip was put to death. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James was stoned to death. Andrew and Matthias were both burned to death. What about the Apostle Paul, who wrote the, most of the remainder, uh, remainder of the New Testament? Well, he was shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, beaten by clubs, and beheaded by the Roman Empire. There is zero indication that the disciples who were there, who witnessed these miracles of Jesus, there is zero indication that they believed that safety and healing and long life would be normative for the Christian experience. Paul, considering how difficult this life is, wrote, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Peter wrote, do not be surprised by trials. James explained that trials are a normal part of the Christian experience. So again, I've got to ask us this question. When we read these stories, how should we apply them? What do they mean for us today? Well, for the early disciples, they all agreed. And they knew how they were meant to be used for the Christian experience. And we see that summarized in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, which reads, Salvation was first announced by the Lord and confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles. What they're saying is this, is these four stories, these amazing events, are signs for us of something greater. Signs always point to a greater, not lesser, but a greater reality. My family and I, we visited the Sawtooth Mountains in Idaho. And for months preparing for our trip to Idaho, I was looking at pictures online of the Sawtooth Mountain Range, the snow-capped mountains, the lakes. Finally, that day came and we arrived at the Sawtooth Mountains. And there was this big sign 
that says, you are now entering the Sawtooth Mountain Range. Now, nobody who has been to visit the Sawtooth Mountains arrives at this sign and says, look how wonderful the sign is. Look how glorious the sign is. Takes a picture of the sign, puts it on Facebook, and then goes home. We all know that signs point to a greater reality. Signs point to something much more significant than itself. Signs point to something much more beautiful, much bigger, much more wondrous, much more glorious than itself. If I gazed upon the sign in the Sawtooth Mountains and I made the sign the point, then I would have missed the beauty of Redfish Lake and not felt the waters of the hot springs. And I would not have climbed to the peaks of the rugged Sawtooth Mountains. And if we stop at the signs and we make the signs that God gave us the point, and we gaze upon the signs, and we crave merely the signs, then we will miss the greater reality of salvation that we receive in Jesus Christ. We will miss the heights and the wonders and the glories of Christ if we gaze merely upon the signs. The signs are given to us so that we might ask, who then is this? Storms in this life are not your greatest problem, but there is a greater storm. Ezekiel 13, 13 tells us that God's wrath is like stormy wind, hailstone, and a deluge of rain. Diseases in your life are not your biggest problem. Matthew 9 says that sinners are sick with a disease called sin. Death, physical death in this world is not your biggest problem. But we are told that the curse of sin is death and that is not just physical death, but that is eternal death. We are dead spiritually, and we need so much more than this physical life preserved momentarily. Jesus stilling the storm shows us that he has the ability to still the greatest storm of all, and that is the wrath of God. Jesus entered into that storm that day, that Good Friday 2,000 years ago, and he entered into it and bore the wrath of God for us on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Disease, this disease of sin, has been healed by Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross. Because of his work on the cross, the Bible says that, disease, uh, that, that sin has no power over us anymore. You are freed in Christ from the power of sin. And what about death? Death is our greatest enemy, and Jesus boldly entered into death 
They killed him. They hung him on a tree. He died. They laid him in a rich man's tomb. They rolled a stone in the entrance of the tomb to seal it. And three days later, early, on a Sunday morning, his disciples showed up. The women showed up with the anointing oils to anoint his dead body. And when they showed up, he wasn't there. And they heard a message from the angels which said, He's not here, for he has risen from the dead. Jesus conquered death. He shows us that all who turn from their sins and trust in him are freed from the wrath of God, from the power of sin, and even from the grip of death. And we have the hope that we will be raised to walk like Christ, never to die again, freed from even the presence of sin. Who then is this? He talks to storms. Who is this? He talks to death. Who then is this? He is the Savior of the world. And he has within him the power to save you. Family, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. Now cling to him with all of your hope. See the glories of Christ. Paul said this, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them. The storms of this life, the diseases of this life, the premature deaths of this life, these momentary troubles are creating in us uh, glory that far outweighs them. This opportunity that we will one day have to see Christ face to face one day. One day, we will be raised, and there will be no more Category 5 hurricanes. One day, every demon will be locked in the abyss. One day, every disease will be a distant memory for us. One day, in Christ, we will be raised to new life. And one day, we will see Him face to face. And until that day... Until that day, we walk not by sight, but by faith. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Church, who then is this? He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the risen Savior, risen to be the judge of the living and the dead. And He is my Savior. And He is my Lord. Is He yours? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We thank You for the fact that Christ has all power and all authority. We ask God that as we read these encouraging stories, that we would see them as signs to something so much greater than themselves. That Jesus Christ has the authority and the power and the ability to save us from our sin. To be forgiven. And one day, the hope to be raised to new life. Living forever with you. 
in eternity, freed from the presence of sin. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.